After 6 a.m., good morning, everybody. My name is Avrami Finkelstein. Briefly, once again, sitting in for the one and only Nahum Siegel on this Friday morning, Arab Shabbos, and uh, Parshas Chai Sarah. And Nahum should be in an hour number two of the program. Welcome to your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. <laughs> No, no, I get a good feeling, yeah. Oh, I'm Shabbos. I get a good feeling, yeah. I get a feeling that I never, 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 never had before. No, no, I get a good feeling, yeah. Shadows mob, now this is it. Spend a day alone with the one I'm buff. So throw away your hammer, it's a day of love. Bottles popping, kiddish dropping. Once it's near start, they never be stopping. Family, friends gathered all around. Sweet harmonies, listen to that sound. When it comes, I roll out to people. Keep myself strong, not old people. Carrying chunk, grab a shuffle to learn. Shabbos ebbs, and for another I yearn. Yo, my speed's all day of rest. Had a tough week, just decompress. We don't realize how we are blessed. Now spread the love and invite some guests. Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Asharis Malachi Asharis, Malachi Elyon Mimelech, Malachi Anachi
so stressed at work When I hear the boss, I jump Too sharp to go to school I'm always parking by a pump But all of the worry Goes down the drain When my wife and children join me In singing the Okay. 
Shut 
that's Israel Portnoy with Friday Feels. That's right. On this uh, Arab Shabbos Parshas Chai Sarah, uh, November 18th and uh, the um, and the 24th of Cheshvan. People following the daf. Today is Nadarim 24. And this is Avrami briefly sitting in for the one and only Nachum Siegel on this uh, Arab Shabbos morning. Uh, Nachum will be in in hour number two, uh, he is expected to be conducting the weekly update with Malcolm Holmline today. We will be having um, Harry Rothenberg's words on the uh, Torah portion. We will also be having, of course, Rabbi Benjamin Uden on the Torah portion in hour number three of the program. So uh, everything will be going uh, mostly as planned. But yeah, so Nachum will be in a little bit later. Um, let's see. Thank you all for tuning in, making the program part of your morning. Uh, I see some... Uh, Beit Shemesh residents have uh, checked in. Listener uh, Savdanus and Tired CPA. We are broadcasting live from Beit Shemesh. And uh, yeah, so glad you are tuned in. And hopefully you guys will have a Shabbat Shalom. Hopefully everybody will. And uh, coming up after this program, we've got the encore of the uh, Arab Shabbos show, hosted by Mark Zamek and brought to us by our friends at Kedem. That happens at 10. Uh, great Arab Shabbos music. Music mix brought to us by our friends at Kedem, happening all the way till candle lighting, which is getting earlier and earlier. Mark Zamek also presents the final hour, which is a special hour of music put together for that final hour right before candle lighting. I'll be on tomorrow evening for Saturday Night Seagull, and we'll be encoring uh, this program uh, at 10 p.m. tomorrow. And uh, yeah, so great programming still coming your way. Make sure that you stay tuned. I am keeping the daily playlist as I tend to do when I host. And uh, so we started off the program, of course, with Regesh and Moda'ani. We had AKA Pella with a TGIF medley 2, my favorite of their TGIF medleys. A.B. Rottenberg featuring Shlemy Gertner with Baruch Hashem. It's Shabbos. Great tune from Journeys 5. Uh, Rami Kleinstein and uh, featuring Avram Fried with their wonderful uh, collaboration, live collaboration of Matanot Ketanot. Uh, Rav Shlomo Katz with Yismachu from his Vehakohan MCD, a modern-day classic. And as I said, Israel Portnoy with Friday Fios. So lots of great Shabbos-centric uh, songs happening. We'll have some uh, Benching Rosh Chodesh songs in the next set, as we will be Benching Rosh Chodesh tomorrow, Rosh Chodesh Kislev, a two-day Rosh Chodesh coming up, uh, I believe, Thursday and Friday of next week. So let me also take this opportunity to wish everybody a Chodesh Tov. Uh, I am going to try to take some requests, but maybe we'll leave some of those for when Nachum is on a little bit later in the program. And uh, looking forward to that. Uh, let's see, it's just about uh, just past 6.30 a.m. on the east coast of the United States. It is 1.30 p.m., uh, getting closer and closer to Shabbos here. And uh, things are cooking, and uh, we are just here getting ready. Hopefully this is a great soundtrack to whatever it is that you are doing. Whether you are at home, on the go, uh, let's see, uh, whether you are uh, out uh, playing baseball or watching your grandson play baseball in Beit Shemesh or uh, whatever else it is that you might be doing, whether you're up in Montreal, etc., etc. So we thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to get back to the music right now. Some more great tunes coming up. This one is off of Eitan Katz's latest CD, the one entitled Truma. The song is entitled Me'ain Olam Haba, another great uh, tune for an Arab Shabbos. We got Moshav coming up. We got Sandy Shmueli coming up. We got a whole lot more still coming up. I believe we have the news from Israel coming up in just under a half an hour. So make sure you stay tuned for that. This is Avrami. You are listening to an Arab Shabbos edition of JM and the AM being brought to you live, at least for the beginning of the show, from Beit Shemesh Israel here at the Nachum Siegel Network.
That is Lev Tahar with Chaverim, a great tune, uh, considering we are benching Rosh Chodesh this coming uh, Shabbos, a two-day Rosh Chodesh Kislev coming up next week, and we also had in there because of that Sandy Shmueli and Misha um, Asa, more words from the liturgy for benching Rosh Chodesh. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world, on the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. But we thank you so much for tuning in on this Friday morning, Arab Shabbos Parshas Chayi. Sarah Avrami briefly sitting in for the one and only Nachum Siegel, who should be joining us shortly within this hour uh, to, con- to continue with regular Arab Shabbos programming here, including uh, Harry Rothenberg's Parsha Vlog, of course, the weekly update with Nachum Siegel and Malcolm Holine. And Nachum will also be presenting, as always, Rabbi Benjamin Uden to discuss the Torah portion of the week coming up in hour number three of the program. Daily playlist is being kept. Just to do a quick rundown of the songs before the news from Israel, uh, we had in there Eitan Katz with Me'ain Olam Haba from his Truma CD, uh, Moshav with Bayom Hahu, a wonderful tune from Shabbat Volume 2, David Dax with the Shabbos Medley from Shira Sayam, Moshe Yes with an instrumental uh, version of Lichadodi from Shabbos On My Mind, and as I said, Sandy. Shmueli and Lev Tahar in there with words from the Benching Rosh Chodesh. We're going to bring up uh, the Galei Tzahal in the background here. And uh, hopefully that'll all work out. And we will have the news uh, very shortly. The uh, 2 p.m. news from Israel being brought to you as uh, Nachum does every single day between Monday and uh, Friday here at uh, JM the AM. We've got great music coming your way after that. So make sure that you stay tuned. And, uh, yeah, coming up at 10 a.m., an encore presentation of Mark Zomik's uh, Arab Shabbat Show brought to us by our friends at Keta. Mark also put together another wonderful edition of the final hour, which will play for an hour before candle lighting. So make sure to stay tuned for all of that. A great soundtrack for whatever it is that you are doing on this Arab Shabbos. This is, um, yeah, Avrami, and you are listening to uh, an Arab Shabbos Friday edition of JM and the AIM for the moment being brought to you live from Beit Shemesh, Israel here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Here is the news from Israel. גליצה על השעה שתיים שלום רב באולפן ערן קורצי מה שקורה עכשיו הפרלמנט של אזרבייג'אן החליט היום על פתיחת שגרירות אזרבייג'אן בתל אביב זאת תהיה השגרירות הראשונה בישראל של מדינה בה הרוב והשלטון הם שיעים ראש הממשלה יאיר לפיד ברך על ההחלטה ואמר כי המהלך הוא פרי מאמצי ממשלת ישראל לבנות קשרים מדיניים איתנים עם העולם המוסלמי כך לפיד ידיעה שהעביר כתבנו יובל שגב במחנה הפליטים ג'באליה מתקיימת בשעה זו הלוויית 21 בני משפחת הבוריה שנספו בדלקה שפרצה אמש בבניין מגוריהם. אלפים משתתפים במסע. כתבנו ג'קי חוגי מציין שקודם לכן היום אמרו רבבות מוסלמים במסגד אל-אקצא תפילת אשכבה לזכרם. בעיר רהט הודיעו על ביטול כל הפעילויות במרכז הקהילתי ובהיכל התרבות ביומיים הקרובים כהשתתפות באבל. כתבנו אדם פראג' מוסיף שחלק מקרובי משפחתם של משפחת הבוריה גרים היום ברהט. הקשיים במשא ומתן הקואליציוני, חבר הכנסת איתמר בן גביר שוחח עם נתניהו וקרא לו להיענות לדרישות של בצלאל סמוטריץ' באשר לתיק הביטחון או האוצר. מוקדם יותר היום העלה חבר הכנסת אורי מקלב מיהדות התורה אפשרות של הקמת ממשלה עם המחנה הממלכתי. מקלב אמר בריאיון לביטאון המפלגה יתד נאמן, כולם אומרים שהפנייה לגנץ היא שכריר, ספין, אבל גם ספין יכול להגשים את עצמו. עוד אמר מקלב, המשא ומתן היה צריך להסתיים תוך יומיים ולא להימרח עד עכשיו. כתב התחום הפוליטי שחר גליק מוסר כי בכל מפלגות הקואליציה העתידית מספרים בימים האחרונים על קשיים נוספים בהרכבת הממשלה, אך מעריכים
כי הכל ייפתר עד לסוף השבוע הקרוב. הפועל בן 60 נהרג בצהריים במפעל בראשון לציון. הפועל נלכד תחת משטחי קרמיקה וכשחולס היה ללא סימני חיים ועם חבלות בכל חלקי גופו. לצוותים הרפואיים שהגיעו למקום לא נותר אלא לקבוע את מותו. ידיעה שהעבירה כתבתנו הדש טייף. יומיים בלבד לפני שריקת הפתיחה, קטאר חזרה בה מן ההיתר למכור אלכוהול בתוך האיצטדיונים במהלך משחקי גביע העולם והחליטה לאסור את מכירתם של משקאות חריפים ביציעים. ההחלטה הודלפה הבוקר לניו יורק טיימס ובמהלך היום צפויה לצאת הודעה רשמית מדוחה. סוגיית האלכוהול ביציעים חוללה מתח רב ביחסי קטאר עם פיפ"א וכעת לא ברור כיצד תנהג ההתאחדות. תחזית מזג האוויר מעונן חלקית עד בהיר תחול עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות שתימשך גם בשבת. אלה זמני כניסת השבת, פרשת חיי שרה, שבת מברכים לחודש כסלו, בירושלים שתי דקות לפני ארבעה, בתל אביב בארבע ועשרים, בחיפה בארבע ושבע דקות, ובבאר שבע תיכנס השבת בארבע עשרים ואחת. ואלה זמני צאת השבת מחר, בירושלים בחמש ושבע עשרה, בתל אביב בחמש ושמונה עשרה, בחיפה בחמש ושש עשרה. ובאר שבע תצא השבת מחר בחמש ותשע עשרה. לכל מאזיננו שבת שלום, אלה החדשות.
Shabbos, thanks for joining us. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Chaye Sarah, believe it or not. I say it like that because our preference would be to be in Israel for Chaye Sarah. It's been a while since I've actually been in Hebron 
for Parashat Chaye Sarah. In fact, I saw Rabbi Yudin yesterday, and I was uh, saying to myself, I remember the year that Rabbi Yudin and I were there, uh, were there in uh, in trans in transition. It, <coughs> I'm reading a Rummy's text as I'm speaking. <coughs> I remember Rabbi Yudin and I were in Chevron the same Shabbat, and we actually conducted the Torah portion from the room that I was staying in in Chevron. It's pretty crazy. A lot of uh, a lot of great memories of Shabbat Chaye Sarah. And with Shabbat Chaye Sarah about to start in Israel, I uh, remind everyone to continue to pray for our dear friend Ofer Ohana, who was injured in that terrorist attack just a couple of weeks ago. That was some news to open up the phone to on Saturday night and read about that Saturday night terror attack. Um. So yeah, the holy city of Hebron beckons, and I am sure there will be a tremendous number of people who are flocking into Hebron. And uh, what an amazing Shabbat they'll have, that I could tell you. Ofer Ben Tova, by the way, Ofer Ben Tova, keep him in mind, uh, one of the recent victims of terror in Israel, too many recent victims of terror in Israel. He's one of them. Uh, we'll get to Harry Rothenberg in a minute, of course, or by Uden later on. Uh, Malcolm Honline, ex- uh, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us coming up. And um, that'll be at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time. It's been a while since Malcolm's been on with us. We'll speak with him coming up. Um... <laughs> Someone on the app is wishing a Shabbat Shalom to their neighbor in Ramat Beit Shemesh. I don't know if we're going to get to the Mushka song, but thank you for sending regards to Avrami. And I want to thank Avrami, always steps in, even in regular situations, not just emergency weeks. Uh, but today it was a big, big help. Since I didn't have access to a studio until 7 o'clock, it was a big, big help that he uh, started the show this morning. So thank you, Avrami, for everything. And especially your working uh, your work this morning, it's much appreciated. Um, tired CPA Ellie says he's watching his grandson playing baseball in Beit Shemesh as he listens to JM in the AM. Thank you. <laughs> um, shall have its flame from Schlockrock. In honor of Shabbat Chevron, in memory of Shalhevet Pas, a 10-month-old baby murdered in her carriage by sniper fire. We named our daughter in her honor, says listener Devorah. That's pretty amazing. May our memory be blessed. May the current terror waves speedily stop. Amen to that. And hello to listener Tikva, who's tuned in in Israel. I want to thank, before we get to Harry, <coughs> I want to thank uh, those who... Um, I want to thank those who... Um, have been paying uh, shiva visits to my wife, Stacy Siegel. Well deserves the honor and time that people are giving her in light of the passing of uh, my father-in-law. And, of course, those who are visiting my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law, much appreciated. Um, shiva week is, different, is difficult on everybody, and in our circumstance, it uh, hit us like a ton of bricks out of nowhere, as you know, after the big wedding celebration last Thursday night. 
So a big thank you to all those who are extending themselves by coming or by extending condolences in whatever matter, whatever way, shape, or form. It's much appreciated. And I thank you very, very much. Harry Rothenberg has uh, something to say about Parshas Chaye Sarah. Here he is on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. Earlier this year, I went to a sample sale and I bought a really expensive pair of shoes. $700 retail price. But they were 80% off. Got them for 140 bucks. And I don't know what I enjoy more. The shoes, which are great, or the great deal that I got. But at the beginning of this week's Parsha, you see the exact opposite. Avraham shows up, and he's negotiating to buy the Ma'ara Samach Pela, the burial plot for his beloved wife, Sarah, who has just died. Ephron throws out a ridiculous, exorbitant price. Everybody knows. You're in the Middle East. The seller starts high. If you're the potential buyer, you start low, and you meet somewhere in the middle. You have a little haggle, a little dance. And instead, Avraham says... You got it. That's what I'm paying. Weighs out the 400 silver shekel and hands it to him. Then there's a later example in the Parsha of one of the matriarchs seemingly getting owned. Eliezer, Avram's trusted servant, goes to find a wife for Avram's son Yitzchak. And he devises a test. Whichever young woman shows up at the well and offers to give water to me and to my camels, she's the one. And little Rivka shows up. And she offers water to him and his camels. One of the commentators does the math. He says that she must have dragged over 140 gallons of water. Oh, Eliezer is standing there not lifting a finger. What is going on? What are these two stories teaching us? Thou shalt be a doormat? No. What they're teaching us is that there are certain instances when you have to be quiet. When you have to just completely give in. Don't argue. Don't negotiate. Don't complain. Like the famous advice for somebody marrying off a child, if you can afford it. Wallet open, mouth shut. Pay a few extra bucks, avoid a fight. But on the other hand, the Torah is not teaching us that you always have to act that way. We saw that last week. When Sarah saw that Yishmael, Avram's other son, posed a spiritual and physical danger to her son, their joint son, Yitzchak, she told Avram, out, you need to banish Hagar and Yishmael. Very difficult for Avram, but Sarah took a stand. There are times when you have to speak up. There's no one-size-fits-all response to every situation. You've got to analyze. Is this one of those situations where I need to stand up, voice my concern or my objection, negotiate, or is this a time when I've got to zip the lip and just be quiet and just accept it and not say a word? You need both of those tools in your toolbox depending on the situation. Day when 
shall have its flame must burn Made 400 shekel coins He knew this was where the physical And spiritual world enjoin And every day you're standing strong Against dangers that are unknown We realize you're representing us By living in Hebron The flame must never go out must never die. The throne is ours now and forever. I'm Israel Chai. And while we long for the day when we will return from the corners of the earth, shall heaven's flame must burn. We've seen you through some painful times. And others might lie ahead But the soul will last forever Shall heaven's flame will never end Never die. The throne is ours now and forever. I'm Israel Chai. And while we long for the day when we will return from the corners of the earth, shall heaven's flame must burn. Fikal Hanchama, 
Shlomo Katz, I wonder if he knows how many uh, of his selections dominate our Erev Shabbos programming. Just amazing. Maya Didus, <clears throat> and before that, Kel Adon. 
here at JM in the AM. It's amazing that our uh, app is being dominated by comments from people in Israel as they are very, very close to Shabbos. I think in Yerushalayim, candle lighting is like a couple of minutes after 4 o'clock. And in other parts of the country, uh, somewhere between 4 and 4.30. So thank you to those who are spending your last minutes before Shabbos with us here at JM in the AM. Listener Ita says, I'm also listening from Ramat Beit Shemesh. My condolences to Stacy. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. GZ Settler, uh, sorry for your loss. Thank you. Um, Judy Landy wants to hear a Rosh Chodesh benching song. Oh, I, might, I forgot to mention it's Erev Shabbos Parshas Chayesar with candlelighting in New York at 4.15. Candlelighting in New York, 4.15. We will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Kislev will be Thursday and Friday which means we will be saying Hallel on Thanksgiving. Rosh Chodesh Kislev will be Thursday and Friday, and we will be saying Hallel on Thanksgiving. Yes, Rabbi Heber and I did discuss that, I believe. (laughs) The irony of all that. I don't know what we're going to do about a weekly update next week. That's a good question, actually. We'll see if we can fit a weekly update into our schedule since it is the Friday of Thanksgiving weekend next weekend. We will figure it out as we tend to do. JM in the AM, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Again, candlelighting in New York, 415. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Thanks to those who are writing in from around the world. You can feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. I was given um, I was given a... Uh, Advance notice overnight that today is the 18th birthday of a very prominent listener of JM and the AM. Apparently, listener Baruch Jungreis is uh, spending his Friday celebrating a milestone birthday. How do you like that? So, uh, to, um, to uh, Baruch Jungreis, I say happy birthday, happy milestone birthday, and that comes from... Me and the entire Siegel family. And I would say the entire Lower East Side of Manhattan. And I will extend that to uh, everybody at TABC and the entire New York and New Jersey. Everyone at Camp Cayley, of course. Everyone's celebrating Baruch Jungreis's birthday. So happy birthday, Baruch, from all of us here at JM. In the AM. Dove Halpern is next. You're listening to a Friday morning era of Shabbos JM in the AM. יום השבת עם המשפחה ועם בורא עולם לאחד דודי לקראת קלה פני שבת נקבלה לאחד דודי לקראת קלה, פני שבת, נקבלה, 
Wow. I hope by next week I have my voice back. My thanks to Rummy for starting things off this morning. Much appreciated. He's got a really early candle. Well, we all have an early candle lighting time these days, don't we? Shlomo Kalbach and Lachad Odi, you heard Kol HaShavua done by Dove Halpern, and we hear, we're here on a Friday morning air of Shabbos at JM in the AM. Don't forget, candle lighting in New York, 415. That's right, pretty early, huh? 415. Candle lighting in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. We will bench Rosh Chodesh Kislev tomorrow, Rosh Chodesh Kislev Thursday and Friday, Rosh Chodesh Kislev Thursday and Friday, which means we will be saying Hallel on Thanksgiving. How do you like that little calendaric quirk? Uh, so again, that's happening. Um, that's happening Thursday and Friday. Rosh Chodesh begins Wednesday night, and we will have a, a two-day Rosh Chodesh Kislev coming up. Jam and Am on a Friday morning broadcast. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Don't forget our Erev Shabbos show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. It's going to be happening at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, hosted by Mark Zamek. Great weekend programming, including Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer's Wickler. That happens tomorrow night at 9 p.m. And, of course, Matis on JM Sunday this week with substitute host Avrami. Avrami has been just uh, doing a yeoman's job uh, substituting and, and hosting, and we thank him. Uh, Avrami hosts uh, JM Sunday Live this coming Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Don't forget, if you want to uh, print out and explore and research thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world, if you want to print them out before Shabbos and enjoy uh, a fun-filled uh, information-filled weekend, go to jewishworldview.com. Again, our friends at jewishworldview.com, an amazing resource for news analysis, etc., etc. It's been a while since we've spoken to Malcolm. Lots happened since we did last speak to him, so let's get into our weekly update. Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Friday mornings for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, and welcome back to you. Thank you very much. Lots of celebrate Simchot. Amen. We had the opportunity to celebrate a big Simcha. It was wonderful having you and members of your family with us. Uh, all right, you know where we're going to start. We need your takeaways from the Israeli election. Many people shocked and surprised that the right, led by Benjamin Netanyahu, have been able to or will be able officially to form a government. What are, in fact, your top takeaways from the most recent Israeli election? Well, there certainly is definitive sentiment amongst the Israeli people, and what's remarkable is to see the shift amongst younger voters to the right, where here we have a shift, decided shift amongst young voters to the left. And, the, um, and of course, in both countries it's mixed, but we're talking about the general direction. And the fact that Netanyahu uh, was able to uh, secure the 61 seats, or 64, but he has not been able to secure a government yet, and he's in very intense negotiations. There's even talk of forming a minority government of 57 seats uh, without Smutrich and the Religious Zionist Party because he's demanding the Ministry of Defense, which is uh, not something Netanyahu, I think, at this stage can give him because the, the relationship with the United States is critical for the Ministry of Defense, and they will not deal with him. At least that's what they've said. So he has a, he has set a deadline for Wednesday for forming the government, and it's going to be very interesting to see whether that pressure move really uh, changes things. Uh, Smutris was offered the Ministry of Justice, which is very critical for things they care about. They also made some concessions about uh, the outposts, 
and yet that still hasn't uh, moved the needle on it. And the Ministry of Finance, which he wanted as an alternative, Derry insisted on getting, and the um, you know the jockeying will continue to go on. Uh, I'm sure we'll read much more by. Monday about Sunday's negotiations. There's not enough positions. There are not enough uh, titles to be distributed. Uh, that's well, how many key titles. That's what they care about. And I'm surprised people don't want the foreign ministry more. Uh, it's um, rumored that um, Ron Dermer, the former ambassador to the U.S., would be a prime candidate for that. Uh, also, Ohana, who would likely be the speaker if he's not the foreign minister. And he has many others within Likud that he has to take care of. Uh, there are, it's going to be a very big government, a broad government, maybe 30 ministers, but it's, it's, um, it's the prime positions that really count, and especially for the leadership. I think the membership are ready to accept whatever ministries they are, they are offered. So if Smotrich's request or demand for a defense minister is unreasonable, obviously if he would request foreign minister, I would assume for the same reasons it would be unreasonable, right? It would be more reasonable, but not likely, and uh, would also be complicated because many foreign governments have also imposed this restriction, which I think is, you know, governments should be able to choose their members if somebody doesn't want to deal with them. It's their business. But, uh, you know, we have people sitting in governments all over the world that they meet with who are, um, who are known to have radical positions or whatever. And, uh, you know, the relationship though, with the defense department, we just saw the head of CENTCOM, the central command was uh, visiting with uh, the chief of staff, Aviv Kochavi, uh, in Israel this past week, and they talked about expanding the joint capabilities against Iran, and there are uh, virtually every day uh, visits or exchanges of some kind. Uh, Karila, General Karila, who's the head of CENTCOM, I mean, talked about the relationship, uh, the joint capab- military capabilities that they're developing and, and expediting it. This It's only symbolic <coughs> of the all of the exchanges that take place in this relationship is too vital, especially given uh, the battle with Iran, to limit it or endanger it in, in any way. You saw this week a B-52 bomber from the United States accompanied by Israeli jets again went across the Middle East and joined by other by jets from other countries as they transversed uh, the Gulf. It's, uh, it's, it's a daily occurrence, and so the Ministry of Defense is very critical. Uh, and so so should be some of the other positions, like the, the head of the National Security Council, uh, which is not a minister. This is usually a, an expert, a security expert. And the um, uh, Ministry of Finance, which is very vital uh, right now, especially given the economic challenges. So if we would have spoken right after the election... Uh, this conversation would have been very different. It would have looked like an absolute slam dunk for Netanyahu, and formation of a government would be a foregone conclusion. Two weeks later, what's holding everything up is these negotiations within the potential government. And, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago, would that have surprised you, knowing that uh, there would have been this delay because of the the demands that certain members have had? We did anticipate it because, uh, you know, they they had declared their intentions beforehand, uh, that if the government, if they won and they were in the government, that this is what they would insist on. Uh, but 
it's very unfortunate. I think that the most important thing is to form a government and get busy, do the work of the people. And then things uh, can always work out. But you know, everybody is jockeying for position. And especially when you have those types of numbers, you know, the, the strength that you ended the election mm-hmm. with starts to wane when all this, you know, back and forth continues to go on. Um, so how did he do it? I mean, what's the analysis? How did Netanyahu do it? Why, for all these previous times, was there basically a deadlock in the Israeli election? Now, suddenly, you know, the right <clears throat> has, you know, started to dominate a little bit. And now, <clears throat> I know you, you mentioned the shift and the youth, and I get that, but did Netanyahu see this coming? Like, did he, did he just simply wait it out until he, uh, you know, until he realized his vision that this is where the country was going and he was automatically likely going to end up in the top position? Well, I think there are a number of factors. Um, I think the terrorism wave was a major factor and drove people to vote security, um, as we saw in some places here in the United States, too. But there, the the heavy toll being taken by the consistent day-to-day by, by different attacks, as we saw again this past week, a uh, very tragic attack at Ariel and others, uh, people were voting for security. And the government, the previous government, I think ran a, a so, somewhat lackadaisical campaign. Also, the fact that the merits votes were eliminated and that they did not join together with labor, which would have saved that and done what Smotrich and Ben Beard did by joining. Right. Uh, remember, those votes then were divided, and right. Likud gets the majority of it because it's distributed proportionately to the right. vote you got. So any parties that uh, didn't make the threshold, their votes get distributed to the existing parties, but not those most ideologically akin to them, but by the proportion uh, of the total vote. So right. Likud is the biggest party, got the biggest chunk of those. And, I mean, it wasn't an overwhelming mandate, right. but it was certainly a rejection of the former government and uh, anticipation that this government would do much more in security and the economics uh, it was a vital issue. So this is not a trend, it's a circumstance. Those who are saying the left's never going to win in Israel again, it, it's a silly statement. Because this is just, as you just said, they voted because of circumstance of today. It's not a, a trend that's moving the entire country a certain way. It's never going to be reversed. I think the formal left structure is definitely um, shifted and changed dramatically. Uh, you saw it in, in with um, the Prime Minister, with Lapid and others. I mean, they certainly moved to the center and the uh, and finally Benny Gantz's party. So I do think that there's some credibility to the fact that the, the, the left has, as the traditional left in Israel or more extreme left, are certainly not in favor. <clears throat> I don't see them coming back uh, soon, but I do think um, the move to the center could be um, more likely. All right, now when people want to know, uh, I mean, you've alluded to it in terms of the defense and the importance of certain things going forward, the economy, etc. On the world scene, because Netanyahu likely is going to be back in power, are we going to see an increase of relationships like the Abraham Accords? Are we going to see negotiations with countries that we probably wouldn't have seen with the former government? What major changes do you anticipate with him? I don't think immediately there will be any major change. I think he will work as he has to reinforce the relationships with the Arab countries that signed the, the Abraham Accords. He spoke to uh, President Erdogan of Turkey uh, yesterday. He has talked to some of the Arab leaders. 
of call to congratulate him, including King of Jordan, despite his heavy criticisms. And uh, so I think he will put more emphasis on outreach. Uh, I don't anticipate that there's any basis for any negotiations with the Palestinians. Uh, the previous government didn't either, and the, it's not likely. I do think there'll be a greater emphasis on security, and obviously the issues that the parties have raised about the legality of the outposts and moving against the Supreme Court, all of which will, will not play well on the international scene, but um, perhaps will satisfy some of the domestic demands. All right, understood. Um, well, people want to know what you think of other elections as well. Um, what is your what are your takeaways from the midterm elections in the United States? And just like we lamented when in Israel things were basically 50-50, right, always going back to new elections, never having a definitive leader, etc., uh, is there a concern that the House is so evenly divided post-midterm elections? Yes, because you always have people who shift. You saw how Manchin shifted in the in the Senate uh, to vote with the Republicans uh, at times uh, and other senators have and I think the same thing is likely in the House where you have people both much more radically on the right as well as those who are more centrist uh, who could put pressure on the on the agenda but I think there seems to be consensus on some of the things like the investigation of Biden's like um, you know, addressing some of the issues that they felt were left over from from before and were not addressed. It it it, it will be a battle. First, um, the speaker has to be elected, and then um, and and as we saw that it, it was likely to be Kevin McCarthy, uh, and then the agenda has to be set. I like it when there are there's some checks and balances when one party controls all three: the White House, Senate and uh, the House of Representatives, uh, you know, sometimes you get a juggernaut, but uh, I think it's, uh, it also can be crippling when they just are, are an opposition party, meaning opposing everything comes up, rather than coming up with their own positive agenda to get through. So, the, you know, the House has the power of the purse, it has other abilities, uh, but I think standing up for, for uh, a lot of the, on a lot of the issues where they, people have felt weakness, everything from China to um, domestic security, the border issues, the, certainly the economic issues are, are very vital, and uh, standing up against Iran. We saw them launch this new hypersonic, or it's claimed they have a hypersonic missile that can hit Israel in 400 seconds. It's, people shouldn't get too crazy yet. They don't have it. And they're only claiming that they have the technology for it, which hasn't been proven uh, either. But the move against Israel in the UN in last week on the ICJ, we did not see the administration really taking this on uh, in a very tough way. We have to see some changes. I mean, on a lot of a lot of issues, both domestic and international, that Iran and China are using detectives here to go after dissidents and. You know, I'm not saying that nobody cares, but the and the most blatant, of course, was the FBI investigation uh, demanding an investigation uh, of the murder of the journalist in Israel. 700 American journalists have been killed. We haven't seen any investigations anywhere else like this. And the one country that really does hold itself to account and to have the State Department, the White House, and everybody else said they knew nothing about it, it doesn't give us a source of comfort. And I hope that they'll quickly reverse it 
and then some rogue element within the FBI that's responsible, uh, rather than the Attorney General ha approving it and everybody else having approved it, because this would be a, it's a very disturbing movement, sends a very bad message in the region. You'll start to worry if it's not reversed by when. Is this days away or? This week. This week. Um, well, remember uh, Pelosi and Hoyer as uh, easy to work with vis-a-vis -vis Israel issues uh, under the leadership or not? Uh, Hoyer is a great friend, and Nancy Pelosi was generally supportive. So people will yeah, look at the term generally on, on Israel issues, look at the votes that, that uh, came up, and fighting elements within there, uh, really um, cancerous elements like the squad and, and others. Uh, I think they, they pay too much deference to them. Uh, I don't think Hoyer is so much. I think Nancy Pelosi did peering with them at the beginning and then taking a stronger stance only much later. But the, um, you know, you saw from the election that they're, they're, uh, Elon Omar won by a very narrow margin and there was very little money put in against her. Perhaps had there been more support for her opponent, they might have won. Right. But the, but it was the Somalis in her district who voted against her. It's not right. Jews. Right. <laughs> Always have to remember that. Um, and two pieces of analysis that people are asking me. Uh, number one, uh, your post-election view of why this red wave did not, in fact, come to fruition. I'm not sure that it ever existed. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I did say something on the show that people did not get uh, too carried away yet, that I, I think people were building up this image. It, it depended a lot on the vote in urban areas of minorities and others to see what the Hispanic, black, and other turnout would be. I certainly think that the, the Jewish turnout was, m the certainly religious communities was much greater, and they voted more Republican. Uh, but they know the reality in New York, for instance, is that a Republican to win is very difficult. I think Zeldin ran a very good campaign, came as close as he possibly could uh, without getting uh, getting the mandate. Uh, but look in, in, the, in Nassau County, uh, they really made the difference in, in gaining control over the House. So when people say their votes don't count, and in New York, you know, Republicans, the votes don't count, it isn't true. We see that those four seats that switched really could have been the margin of, uh, of uh, in the House. Right. So every vote counts, regardless of what side you vote on, and every and your that is your voice. And supporting candidates this time, they did many of them did come to to visit the communities. Some did not, and uh, and I hope that people will at least learn the lesson. And now we start a voter registration drive, not a week before, and then they say it's too late. Right. That everybody doesn't matter what party, just register. And here, obviously, to vote in the primaries, you have to be a Democrat. Uh, but you can register Republican also. And you know the other uh, piece that people in this audience want you to comment about, and that's your impression of the Trump announcement this week. Uh, I think it's very early. I think it evoked a lot of negative response, much more than perhaps one would have anticipated so early on where major backers um, announced that they wouldn't participate, even Ivanka. And um, I think... You know, he, he did it in measured tones, and if he could sustain a campaign like that, he would do much better. <laughs> but, but, but it's very early stage, and two years of a campaign is very long for people to take, and he has a lot of opposition. 
and it's whether it's the Santos or Pence or others. I, you know, I've heard over the last couple of days, it's, it's not going to be a walk away. Yeah, one would expect that. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app, Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. All right, I mean, we've spoken about this topic endless times, but uh, I feel as though uh, option but to address it and address it strongly uh, today. Uh, we, we did have an opportunity after the Kanye episode to uh to delve into um his anti-semitic rant and uh i don't think we had an opportunity since the uh, uh Kyrie irving um a tweet uh nor did we have an opportunity obviously since last saturday night with dave chappelle to address the uh, the rampant desire among certain people to spread um, uh, to spread information about Jewish people, which they think does not lead uh, to danger or insecurity for Jews. And, of course, we think just the opposite. What is your impression of anti-Semitism in America in light of these uh, recent events? So a, a subject we have discussed endlessly uh, uh, and mourning about what is really happening, and it's because we, we, we look at this... Uh, to, to uh, directly, both by direct experience and, and the hearing from people, but also because we have SCAN that monitors the anti-secure community network that's, that monitors the anti-Semitic attacks across the country. This pattern has been growing. And uh, equally disturbing to me, let's say on the, on the comments of uh, David Chappelle, and supposedly humorous. How many Jews said to me, well, it's satire, you know, it's satire. And some of it was very funny. There's even one Orthodox rabbi who had indicated that he wanted to invite him to the synagogue to to speak and because he thought it was, a, you know, a very clever thing. It was not clever. And if you go on the Internet and you see the reactions of support and the uh, comments that are being made, people don't get it. The young people don't know. If it was satire, they don't understand the reference. Frankly, I didn't see it as satire either. I thought it was horrendous. It could, would never have happened before, and it would certainly not be acceptable if it was about another uh, ethnic or religious group. Uh, to um, and, and what's very disturbing is that when one goes on the Internet and sees the reaction to it, when Kylie Irving, you know, wanted to give the, the when Adidas and somebody, I don't know if ADL was part of the announcement, but they announced that it would get a million dollars, half a million from each of them. There were millions of vile comments on the Internet saying, you see, Jews take the money, Jews, Jews are only interested in the money. The fact of what he said and, and, and did and whether, you know, how much he really knew or not know, I mean, there are times when sometimes these comments are just comments speak that they say without understanding the implications. And I have talked to some of the, the people who were engaged in, 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 in earlier controversies who were not anti-Semitic in any way. They were ignorant. And then the rise to defend them uh, is equally disturbing, as was welcome the, the instances of people who, including sports stars, who stood up to condemn them. I think that this is a, a very disturbing trend and the fact that, uh, to me, it's the Farrakhan speak has so permeated the black community, uh, whether it's the black Hebrews, which I did not think, but uh, maybe they've had some impact uh, 
tangentially, but I think it's much more the radical speak, the the uh, intersectionality that Black Lives Matter, the anti-Semitism we saw in some of these movements uh, are are being manifest now, and it's it is certainly something that has to be very disturbing to people. And the failure of black leaders and others to speak up, it's not we who have to uh, fight it. It's they. We are the victims, not the perpetrators. And I think that, that we see how pervasive Case Western University um, announced that, that, that their student body uh, voted for a BDS resolution. We saw that Harvard was determined to have been the, the campus with the most anti-Semitic attacks according to last year, according to one of the reports that, that uh, came out and studying the 21-22 academic year. And, you know, you, you go around from University of Chicago with 13 incidents or Tufts with 12, and, and, and that's ones that are reported and that they got the information on. But the students themselves talk about the relentless atmosphere on the campuses, and we are seeing it in, in so many different places, in so many different ways. And one shouldn't dismiss what happens at the UN. All of this stuff adds up. And then if a Jewish name is associated with some sort of a, a scandal or, or collapse of a business, it adds to it. And I'm telling you, if people could see what goes on on the web, the real impact of it, the fact that the UN voted 98 to 17 to take Israel to the International Criminal Court, um, declaring occupation will need to end. I mean, a Palestinian maneuver to avoid negotiations, and yet overwhelmingly the countries of the world, uh, the truth is 69 did not vote for it, but only 17 of them voted against it. And uh, th This is all a cumulative I impact, and it's something the community has to take seriously. We have to deal with the domestic security, but we have to press elected officials. Now the election is over. It's time to really get behind this. Everybody credit the elected officials for the amount of money that we get for security and uh, that they, and rightly it is very generous but the problem is much deeper and I think we need innovative and new approaches and and to be more uh, to confront it more directly. You know, it's funny because I, n I never even thought in context of Farrakhan and what was going on 30, 40 years ago with public statements by black leaders. But, you know, you, we, we could conjecture Farrakhan had the Internet, you know, how, how much worse that whole era would have been. Well, now the Farrakhan types have the Internet, and, the, and they're able to do uh, and, and expand on the seeds that he sowed uh, in New York and other places, you know, decades ago. Uh, which, which, by the way, justifies because people. I, I remember, you know, in those days, late eighties, early nineties, you know, were wondering about how sensitive Jewish leaders were to his statements and whether they refused to meet with him, et cetera, et cetera. Now you see the justification because it was seeds that he sowed that you know got us to this point. Frankly, and former President of the United States stand with him on a stage, and uh, you know he may not be spewing it so much now. I think he's eighty-nine years old, but his impact. It's, it's very clear, and you're right, the Internet and social media generally uh, expands it. But look what's happening on the campuses, and it's not only amongst blacks, and it's not only amongst any one group. It's, it's uh, very widespread, and this is uh, of great concern. And the more that they manifest it in physical assaults, the more dangerous it becomes. All right, I just got to move on because it would be wrong if we didn't discuss the Iranian protesters. It's been a couple of weeks since we've done a weekly update. Uh, is there, in fact, any update? Because when we last spoke, they were making some progress to the point where you felt the numbers and the actions were really having a big effect. Anything new over the last couple of weeks? 
Yesterday, in 134 cities, over 3 million people participated. I believe it's having an impact. I believe it's um, uh, it's growing. The West does not give it the attention and certainly not the support that it deserves. But the young people, and especially the women, have continued this, and even though there are arrests and the first execution, not the first death, there are maybe three, 400 people killed or more, but the first formal execution of one of the participants this past week where they announce it and claim that the person, also this woman, also set fire to a government building. But, of course, it's a sham, and they're going to, they have another case um, of an execution that's rumored to be uh, forthcoming. Um, but it hasn't diminished the fervor, and for everybody they arrest, then 10 members of their families join the demonstrations, and more unions, storekeepers, campus, the uh, 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 refinery workers, every category you can imagine uh, are joining and, and being uh, expressing themselves. And you see the isolation of Iran. If we would impose more the oil sanctions and stop them from selling oil, both theirs and, and Russians, it would help. Putin spoke to Raisi again, and you see that the, the China-Russia-Iran cooperation is growing because they're all, all three are desperate to, to build these connections. And the, uh, the it is likely that the case is supposed to come up with Human Rights Council, although they're fighting it. Uh, the, the, um, and the Iranians are, are making threats about it. Also, the IEA is supposed to... Um, they, well, they did. They they have um, came out with a very strong condemnation of Iran for not cooperating. But nobody should think that JCPOA is dead. It's certainly uh, paralyzed right now, and because of the demonstrations and because of their support for Russia and selling weapons for use in Ukraine, etc. That the um, and more aggressive stance. You know that there was a, a rocket fired in an Israeli-owned tanker in the Gulf of Oman. Which originated in uh, in Iran. If it's not public, that it will be that that was the origin, oh. and the uh, you know it could be a strike back because of Israel strikes against the shipments going into Syria, which were more much stronger in the last week, and they also hit some of the manufacturing places. Iran took over the manufacture of the missiles and took over facilities that own uh, belong to Syria because they can't they had more and more difficulty shipping stuff. So now they just see parts and material, and Israel is uh, is taking care of some of those facilities as well. But you can't take care of everything. Uh, so Iran does not diminish its activities, despite the demonstrations, which have taken place in hundreds of cities, and more than 10 million people participated. But if you look at the language now, they're going after the minorities, the Baluchis, Kurds, and others, and they're using armed uh, forces. So the the likelihood is that we'll see more of an attempt to to oppress them when they represent perhaps the majority, but certainly about fifty percent of the country. And the, the but the demonstrations are not limited to those areas. The people of Iran are demonstrating, and they're being more and more vocal and courageous as anything. I mean, they do things on the streets against the ayatollahs that are just incredible. It's remarkable the effort that's going on, and and you sort of feel bad because uh, you know when when you're taking on tyrants like they're trying to uh, topple, it's just such a 
it's such a difficult... Uh, uh, and they're not getting the support. All they want from the West, they need money, they need supplies. They're not asking for weapons, they're not asking for missiles. And, and they're not getting it, even the verbal support. The administration did come out better than we did the last two times, at least in verbal, some verbal support. But we need to do much more, and Europeans need to do much more. Um, you know, we know that Georgia prevented an Iranian uh, attempt to murder uh, an Israeli. Uh, we, we know that they're doing stuff all over uh, the world where they're, they are trying to carry out attacks, and thank God they prevented, even in, in this country, about against Iranian dissidents. And, um, you know, they, they continue to move to try to ship to surface-to-surface missiles to get them into Iran. To, to, there was a huge shipment of fertilizer that was stopped on the way to Yemen, and I'm sure everybody last one they hear, but that fertilizer can be used as fuel for uh, bombs and, and um Attacks. So it was a huge shipment that was intercepted by uh, the U.S. on the seas, and it was a stateless uh, ship, uh, so nobody claims ownership of it, but it was clearly going to the Houthis in Yemen. And finally, people are wondering uh, uh, if you're concerned that the uh, Russia-Ukraine war is, in fact, going to lead to NATO involvement. I think NATO is going to be very reluctant to get involved. I think that, you know, nobody has in Europe has a stomach for to do anything. They don't even deal with their own domestic threats, let alone Ukraine. Uh, I think that there could be sanctions. I think there could be uh, other measures taken, but I don't see military intervention as likely. And the Ukrainians have done pretty well, you know, taking, getting her son back is a, is a very big blow to the Russians unless they have some other strategy up their sleeves. I think it's more that winter's coming and they couldn't hold on to the longer um, uh, border and, and the extension of, of the supply routes, which were being cut off by the Ukrainian forces. So uh, I do not anticipate this being um, broadened widely. I mean, it looks like, unless you're just saying that, you know, it'll be this upcoming season that it'll appear this way, it looks like they're heading to some type of stalemate. I don't want to say ceasefire yet, because I don't know if that's realistic. Uh, but do you see things slowing down in this conflict? Well, there were a lot of attacks yesterday in different cities, and they fire uh, against the infrastructure, the, uh, the Russians fire missiles, uh, some of them which supplied by Iran, and certainly those drones, the kamikaze drones, that the um, uh, they're trying to, to destroy the infrastructure so that heat, electricity, and other things, as the winter sets in, put pressure on them. But it's also going to put pressure on the Russian troops. Uh, so I think that we're at a very difficult, um, it's a difficult stage in, in the sustaining this effort. But remember how many billions and billions of dollars we, we've poured into yep. Ukraine. It's not as if the West is, is uh, leaving them to their own devices. Obviously, the country's economy is at a, a standstill, and uh, the war in Ukraine maybe, I hope, woke people up to the reality of the military threats. They still don't understand what Israel is up against and how much Israel has done on its own to counter these threats, But uh, and, and one would have hoped there would be more understanding of Israel's strategic environment and, and defensive needs. Uh, but you see Iran supply the drones, you see them violating all the UN resolutions, we see all of that, and the lackluster and, and weak response 
Sanctions matter. There have been more sanctions put on. They're not negotiating the JCPOA, but they're not willing to say it's dead. They're not willing to say the chapter's closed because they want it to come back. And many people in the administration, even though they know it's not realistic uh, right now. Malcolm, do people ask you if it's time to leave the United States? All the time. And I I can't tell people what to do. also legal implications. But... uh, all I can say is that uh, I'm hopeful, I'm, I'm looking forward to the time when all of us will be able to be gathered together in Israel, that the it's unrealistic to expect that the six million Jews are going to leave, so we have to talk about the situation here. But if you look at the real estate market in Israel and the number of Americans who are buying, let alone French and others, who are facing the reality, it's an indication of the sense of insecurity about the future, about our grandchildren or our children even. If you look at campuses, there is not a single campus where we don't have these anti-Semitic incidents. And, you know, we have study after study that's coming out over the last, uh, I mean, it's every week. It's hardly a, a week or even a day when I don't get a, an update from one side or the other about what's happening on campus, off campus, and in, in social media, in media generally, the, the portrayals of Jews, the, the depictions, is very, it's very frightening, and we have to be much more assertive in the response to it. Malcolm, I thank you. Next week's Thanksgiving weekend, we'll let everyone know if we, in fact, will have a weekly update or not. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks so much for joining us. You mean the turkey takes precedence over this turkey? It might in this case. (laughs) (laughs) Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time, with the weekly update right here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Newton, spiritual leader of Emeritus, Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of bringing Parshas Chayei Sorah. Parshas Chayei Sorah can be conveniently divided into three parts. The first 20 psukim deal with the acquisition of a burial plot for Sora, Imenu, and even though the people of Ches generally, generously offer Avramovino the Mivchar Kvarinu in the choices of our uh, Kvarim, of our graves, bury your dead, which means that your Sora would be buried among us without their saying it, in an un-Jewish cemetery, Avram Avinu insists, thanks but no thanks. I do not want, nor can I allow, my Sarah to be buried amongst you. A Jew is born differently, a Jew lives differently, and a Jew dies and is buried differently. Avram Avinu taught the concept of Kever Yisrael. And therefore, 20 psukim are devoted to this very important concept, which is that the Jew is to be buried in a Jewish cemetery. And it's very important for people to know this and talk about this, because today when Chas there are 
all kinds of alternatives and we're talking about god forbid cremation we're talking about god forbid above ground burial and this is something that all jews need to know that we are to be buried in a jewish cemetery the next 67 psukim of the parsha deal with the acquisition of a wife for Yitzhak and keep in mind a very powerful Drushos Haran Eliezer doesn't come to the well and say all the girls come sit down I have ice cream and all kinds of treats for all of you I just want to ask you girls a question okay who believes in God so everybody gets a ice cream but it is only the ones that say ah we believe in God. They are the ones that can be considered for a wife for Yitzchak. No, that's not exactly what appears in the Torah. Eliezer looks for the young woman who is a Ba'alas Chesed, one who will not only answer in the affirmative that I will give you water, but I will water your camels. Ah, if she is a good person, that is the one for Yitzhak. Why? Because, says the Drushos Haran, proper theology, belief in Hashem can be taught. But good midos, good character, that is most difficult to change. And therefore, the women of Canaan, reflective of their society were not good people. Therefore, Avram Avinu sends his trusted servant to Aram Naharayim, where even though they might be idolaters at this point, but given their good character, that would be the proper mate for Yitzhak. The last uh, closing part of the uh, of the parsha deals with the burial of Avraham. I'd like to focus this morning on a very famous Rashi, whereby he quotes the Barashas Rabbah in defining for us what the Torah tells us at the end of the long chapter of getting a bride for Yitzchak. The Torah tells us by that Yitzhak brings Rivka into the home, the Heihayadia, the home of Sarah Imenu. Once the Torah uses that extra letter, the home, what was unique about that home? So we're all familiar that as long says the Medrash. As long as Sarah was alive, a cloud, an anan, was affixed to the entrance of her tent. When she died, that cloud stopped. But when Rivka arrived, the cloud returned. As long as Sarah was alive, the doors were open wide. When she died, that generosity ceased. When Rivka returned, the generosity returned. As long as Sarah was alive, a bracha mitsuya be'isa, a blessing 
was associated or found with the dough. When she died, that blessing stopped. And when Rivka arrived, the blessing returned. As long as Sarah was alive, there was a near dolok, Erev Shabbos, the Erev Shabbos. A light burned from one Shabbos until the next. When she died, Sarah, the lamp stopped. When Rivka arrived, the fire returned. So Yitzchak saw that she followed the example of his mother and this is what the Torah then tells us he takes her as his wife he loved her and was comforted for the death of his mother my friends Pukhazi, take a look these three elements which the uh, Medrash highlights regarding the Bracha, Mitsuya Be'isa, the blessing found in the dough, the light which was burning from Shabbos to Shabbos, and the cloud over a tent, these three find their exact parallel in the Mishkan. We find in the Mishkan that there was the Shulchan, and the Shulchan, the Sefer Achinuch tells us, Hashem says to Klai Yisrael, make for me a shulchan, have the lechem haponim, the twelve loaves on the shulchan, and by our complying with Hashem's directive, this will give Hashem the opportunity to provide for Klai Yisrael bracha mitsuya b'isa that we will be blessed with our parnasa, with our sustenance. Hashem says to B'nai Yisrael, make for me a mishkan, and in the mishkan I want a menorah, that you are to light for me, I will then enlighten for you. So namely, there is that ne'er dolok, the <clears throat> ne'er tomid, in the mishkan, which illuminated and as our rabbis tell us was the light of Torah and finally in the Mishkan as we find in the very concluding paragraph in Parshas Kude, the Torah tells us that Anan Hashem ala Mishkan Yomam the cloud, the anon of Hashem was on the tabernacle, on the Mishkan by day. So what you have clearly in the tent of Sarah Imenu is the beginning or the reflection already of a Mishkan. Not simply a Jewish home, but that a Jewish home could, should in Mishkan. Now, if we take a look in the Nefesh HaChayim, in Sha'ar Aleph, and this is Perig Dawid, in a footnote, the Chaim Volajna writes regarding the Mishkan, and he says a very interesting idea, that the Mishkan comes from the Kedusha of man. 
namely when an individual sanctifies himself and has Kedusha, that individual makes himself, quote, a Mishkan, a repository for the Shekhinah. And as the Ramban writes in, the, in his introduction to Sefer Shmuz, that the Geula, the ultimate redemption of the Jewish people, was not when they were taken out of Egypt and was not even when they received the Torah at Sinai, but when they accepted upon themselves, Nasib when they accepted upon themselves to observe Torah or mitzvahs, and they became Kadosh, then they, from their Kedushas Apnimi, from their inner sanctity, which they had amongst themselves, then they were worthy to have the Kedusha Hachitsoni, namely the outer Kedusha, which was manifested in the sanctuary. But where does it begin? It begins, says the Nepesh HaChayim, Reb Chaim it begins with man. It begins with the Isorarusa, Dilisato. It begins with man's efforts and sanctifying himself, and that culminates and warrants and brings the Shekhinah. Now, the truth of the matter is, if we think about it, the rabbis tell us so powerfully that Ish Isha, man and woman, Shekhinah B'neihem, Zohu, if they are worthy and they build a proper home, then they bring the Shekhinah. That Yud in the word Ish, that hey in the word Isha, which are the two letters of God's name, Ish be Isha, if Zohu, if they are privileged to live a life of sanctity, then Shechina, God's presence, is found among them. And if not, if you take away the name of God, if you take away the observance of Torah mitzvot, what do you have? You have, without the Yud, and without the hay, you have Aleph, Shin, Eish. And that's exactly what happened at the time of the Churban Beis Amitosh. After all, as long as we had qualities of Sarah Imenu, then we had the Shekhinah. However, when we stopped having this generosity, and there was unfortunately instead that Sinas Chinon, so what happened? The Beis Hamintosh was destroyed by Aish, was destroyed by fire. The concept that emerges from the end of Parshas Chayisora is very clear. One is to look upon their home as a mikdash, as a mishkan, as a repository of Shekhinah. In a very literal sense, Talmidim testified regarding the late of Shlomo Zalman Ornbach 
Talmidim would walk him home, talk to him in learning and Ashkafa. And as soon as they came to the door, they noticed that he would, forgive me, fix his tie, that he would ready himself. Now, they asked him, Rebbe, if you don't mind, what are you doing? After all, most people, when they come to their home, they can't wait to, quote, take off their tie. They can't wait to, quote, relax. After all, here comes my, quote, downtime. And what did Reb Shlomo Zalman answer? He said, I am preparing myself for the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah resides in my home. Wow! What a different perspective on the Jewish home. When a person realizes that the Shekhinah is found in his home, it's a different home. And therefore, what you bring into the home, what reading materials are found in the home, what is brought in on the internet into the home, all that is so different when you have the proper perspective as to what is a Jewish home. By Vieira Yitzhak Ho'oeva, he brings Rift to the tent, to the very special tent. When the woman lights Shabbos candles this evening, she is bringing in the Shekhinah. And one should take a different look and appreciation for his spouse and say, wow, what a privilege, because the Shekhinah can and hopefully does reside in my home. Shabbat Shalom to all.
J.M. and the A.M. Hard not to think of Lobo when you uh, hear that song. Birch HaSachodesh from Leif Tahor here on a J.M. and the A.M. Friday morning. Erev Shabbos Parshas Chaye Sarah. Best regards to our friends in the holy city of Hebron. Please keep in mind Ofer Ben Tova for Rufur Shlema. And if you're anywhere near Hebron right now, tuned into this broadcast, enjoy. It's going to be an incredible Shabbat. It always is. It always is. It always is. Uh, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Uh, don't forget that uh, we will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Kislev is Thursday and Friday. We will be saying Hallel on Thanksgiving. Rosh Chodesh Kislev is Thursday and Friday. Keep that in mind uh, for next week. And candlelighting in New York on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Chai Esara 415. 415 is candlelighting in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Again, in New York, 415 candlelighting time on this Erev Shabbos. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Eitan and Yonina are in Chicago for Shabbos. I don't know what time it starts there. <laughs> but I'm sure they'll find out in due time, I would assume. <laughs> um, let's see, what do we have here? Oh, sorry about that. I want to thank those who are commenting on the app, especially those who are sending forth both both the Mazel Tov wishes and condolence wishes in this unusual week. Uh, thank you to everybody who's, uh, who's doing that. Much appreciated. <coughs> Great weekend programming begins at, uh, well, it's all day long today, of course, but at 10 a.m. Eastern time, it's Mark Zamek in the era of Shabbat show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That's happening at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Great music all through the day, all the way until candle lighting time. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel, 9 p.m. Eastern time with Avrami and with Ariel Yezers Wickler at, um, and Sunday morning Avrami, who is just, uh, being overworked, to say the least, uh, Avrami is going to be subbing for Matis. Avrami live on JM Sunday. Live JM Sunday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Thank you, Avram. Uh, and thank you to Matis, who does 99.9% of the shows live. <laughs> He's not able to this week, so Avrami is sitting in. And, of course, Monday, please God, please God, especially if I'm feeling better from this cough, etc. I hope to speak with you at 6 a.m. Eastern Time right here at JM in the a.m. That is our... Uh, that's our intention and our desire, and I certainly look forward to it. Mazal tov to uh, all the honorees, including Reb Eugene, one of the honorees of the MTJ dinner this coming Sunday night. Misifta Tavares Yushalayim to Reb Eugene. Um, we say a mazal tov, well-deserved, and uh, continued success with your incredible work with the yeshiva. Mazal tov to all the honorees of the Ohel dinner this coming Sunday night. It is going to be a unique and incredible program. Those of you who have not yet made last-minute reservations, do so at ohelfamily.org. I always say if you're going to go to one dinner or two dinners a year, make sure one of them is uh, the Ohel dinner. And um, what can I tell you? I am a, uh, a big believer in what they do. And they always have this incredible and amazing program, which reaffirms just how incredible their work is. So they're a 53rd annual gala coming up at the Pier 60 this coming Sunday night. Don't forget, tomorrow night, it's Rabbi Yehuda Sarna. He's guest lecturer at the uh, Young Israel Talmud Torah of Flatbush. It starts at 8.15 tomorrow night. There's information about that, by the way, on our community calendar, nachomsegel.com slash community dash calendar. So check that out. A special shout-out to our friends at A&H. Many of you are going to be shopping today in supermarkets and many kosher supermarkets around and about all through the country. Check out the A&H display in the meat department. 
Uh, those salamis and so many other items are absolutely delicious, and you want to make sure to have plenty of A&H for your family over Shabbos. And as Hanukkah approaches, Thanksgiving and then Hanukkah, I know, you're going to be entertaining a lot of folks over the next month or so. Make sure to have plenty of A&H in the house. You can't make a Hasselback salami without an A&H salami, right? I mean, I know that other companies might argue with that. I say there's no argument. You can't make a Hasselback salami without an A&H salami. So check that out and get ready for next week, Thanksgiving, when you're going to be uh, entertaining so many people in your home uh, for the holiday. More coming up. It's more Leif Tahar as you're listening to a Friday morning Erev Shabbos edition of JM in the AM.
right. Shalom Aleichem, of course, from Regesh. Oh, what are we doing here? Let's see. One second. We're going to get the right theme. Hang on. We are going to get the right theme. There we go. <laughs> Time to say good Shabbos. With journeys at JM in the AM.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSegal.com on the NachumSegal Network. And of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week, huh? <laughs> to say the least here at JMM. A big thank you to both Avrami and to Mayor Ferdig and to all of you for tuning in and for all of your wishes of both Mazel Tov and of Nichama Avelim. And uh, let us hope that going forward we celebrate more and more and more Smachot together. This radio audience has been an extended, incredible family for 40 years. And it's, a, it's phenomenal to share the good news with you. And you are phenomenal when we share uh, tragic news with you. And I thank you for that and for that connection and for all your wishes. Uh, it's Chaye Sarah. Candlelighting in New York, 415. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Best regards to our holy, our, our holy brothers in the holy city of Hebron. And uh, we bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Kislev will be Thursday and Friday. Tell Rabbi Heber we will be saying Hallel on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Until next week, it's Nachum Single reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.